you don't have to believe that anybody else thinks or sees things better than you do. You just have to take the one step to make room for change. And the, and the very first piece is to be inquisitive, to be curious. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. So this is an episode that was actually one of the last interviews that I did in 2020. And as I was editing, it still really hit home. Because let's be honest, change is hard. As humans, we hate change. But as my guest says, it's the one thing that we as humans are actually situated to do well. We fight so hard against change, especially when it's to move towards something or someone we disagree with. And I know you are disagreeing with something or someone right now. Julia Freeland is my guest for this episode, and she talks about how important it is for us to take that first step and be curious to make change. Julia is the founder of Revolve You and the creator of the Breakthrough Compass, which is a personal change framework designed to harness the power of human nature to help propel us to a better state of being. So let's not dilly-dally anymore and dive right into this interview. Hey, Julia, thank you for coming on the Leading People First podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I've been following you for quite some time and I've just loved the work that you've, um, you've had and been putting out. So I'm really excited to actually finally get to talk to you face to face and just learn more about your work and your journey and, and uh, everything that you've been through to get to where you are today. So the first question I always lead off with is what does it mean to you to lead people first? I love this question, especially because leading people first is such an unusual way of stating that. But to me, it specifically makes me think about how organizations are made of humans. So I think it's so important, and I think we often miss in our fast-paced world, uh, realizing that everything that we're doing every single day, the organizations, the people we work with, they're humans. And humans are both wonderfully amazing and fantastically flawed and yet we are also uh, particularly situated to do one thing in particular like really well and that's to change and yet i feel like the world we live in fails to allow people like fails to like make room for change to happen so often we're we're putting people in um, in these identities and these roles and the responsibilities and what you know we assume that okay that's what that person does and that's all they do and when um, and when we do that we're treating people more like they're objects that are immovable or stagnant and yet and we're not we're not treating them as though they're humans that have two completely you know kind of wow how do you say it just very different sides but if you're not seeing each human for having both of those sides you're cheating everyone um of being able to show up like their whole selves which i've heard heard you know mentioned in some of your other podcasts um but i think we're also cheating everybody from being able to evolve from um because if we treat everybody as though that's their one role their one position Um, we create expectations and then make decisions around that, that keep them in that, that place, because that's how we like to have our life organized so that we can kind of, you know, I'd like to keep all my objects ordered in the right way. Well, people aren't like that. So when you lead people first, I think it's, it's about seeing people for being human and realizing that, um, they do have the capacity to change, unlike what a lot of common culture wants to suggest, which, you know, we, how many times have you heard, um, especially in our, our divisive days today, you know, like, ah, they won't change. People don't change. We have this common belief, this idea that people won't change. And when, when, we, when we say that, every single time we say that, 
we are literally preventing them. We're preventing ourselves from being able to make that connection. We're preventing them from being able to, to change and evolve. And we're cheating ourselves of being able to really tap into the true potential of humans and their ability to, um, to evolve and become what we need them to be given the conditions of our lives. People can grow to be some really amazing things, right? And we, we don't have, when you say that we don't expect someone to change, um, that takes compassion out of the relationship. You know, even, you know, with our, with our divisiveness in, in this country, you know, we have family members and friends who are on different sides. And there are many, many different sides of that, right? And so when we say, oh, that person won't change, you are, you're hurting your own relationship, right? And something that um, I, I love that you have shared in the past has been this analogy around growth and change like espalia trees, mm-hmm. right? And so the so looking at your own journey and your own growth, what were some of the boundaries that forced you into those certain molds? Like what was life telling you or what were people telling you to fit into? And what happened when you hit your point of regrowth to get you where you are today? Oh, I love this question. You have been doing some research. <laughs> um, so for anyone who doesn't know, an espalier is the trees that we that people will put in their yards and create fences with. They, they grow, and so a lot of pruning and, and trimming and, and kind of goes into creating trees that grow in a very unnatural shape. And I use that as an analogy for how human beings are, because we go through so much pruning and trimming by you know, the city we live in, the country we live in, the people we engage with, our family, the churches, the schools, the color of our skin, the, you know, the engagement that we have with life. And it shapes us into not necessarily what we would naturally have grown into being, but it shapes us into what others want us to be. And for me, one of those, a lot of that trimming, you could say I was one of the extremely rigid ones. Um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a world that was extremely black and white. There was one right way to do things and a whole lot of wrong ways to do things. And heck, if you walked off your track, you were not a good person. And, um, and frankly, when I got to a point in life where suddenly those pruners, you know, weren't all around me, I started kind of veering off the, you know, kind of growing in a natural way. And um, and got my, got my branches snapped a few times. And then some life came along and made some really big snaps, you know, bit really big branch um, breaks in my, um, in my little, my lovely espalier form. And then it was at those moments when I had a choice to make, was I going to regrow into what everybody had told me to be, or was I going to branch out and try to become something new and different? And, and that's an extremely hard thing to do when, you know, your, your pruners and gardeners are still all around you saying like, wait, you know the right way to go, take the right path. And you're like, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, or maybe potentially there's a, something happening in your life that makes it so you can't grow back in that, in that pruned way. Um, for me, and I talk about this in my book, actually, a couple of different times where a lot of that. Um, a lot of these rules that I had grown up with failed me dramatically and like in a very big way. Um, only because like if I had stayed on the path, it would have been fine. But I think I just got too tired of staying on the path. And it's like, no, I want to spread my wings and be more, be more me. Um, but making that shift to kind of basically, I, I call it uh, letting chaos in. So when I let a little chaos in the first time, it felt extremely threatening um, and it was fun for a while, but then it felt extremely threatening and I felt like it was kind of taking away all of my foundation away and it was making like, that like if I kept on believing in the rules that I had grown up with, then suddenly I was a bad person. Mm-hmm. And that of course doesn't register well with me. So it was a choice of do I, do I 
go away from myself or do I go away from uh, the world, like the, the, you know, the rules that I had learned to be, you know, and, but making that, making that break from what we've been trained to be or trained to think about and trying to learn how to be more flexible and open exploratory. It's a, it's a big shift. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't particularly uh, receptive to it. So I actually did try to go back to my old espalier ways, you know, being rigid because you're like, that's what I knew. It wasn't until, um, honestly, in 2015, when I feel like uh, I was given a big gift, which is also a very traumatic incident in my life, where my um, 10 days before my daughter was born, uh, I was told that she may not live once she's separated from my body. And the journey that continued after that um led to basically a life of living in constant uncertainty and and also one where there was never a right way so when you're dealing with health issues so often i mean my daughter is is a thriving 15 year old today and it's a miracle of what we went through and what she's been through but all along the way there were times where we were presented with situations where we could go kind of like the rigid certain way where we could explore and be creative and think about other possibilities and the rigid certain way was going to lead to like you know a particular outcome but we didn't really like those particular outcomes so i think um what i learned through this experience with my daughter was was one i shifted the way i thought about myself and uh, realized that it was okay to kind of go away from the rigid beliefs and then by by going away from what has traditionally always been done i was able to we were able to have a miraculous um recovery story for my daughter um through living in by live by by the fact that i have a daughter who has a, a heart condition that is something that will always put it in a constant state of uncertainty um I also had to learn what it was like and what it took to live life in that constant state of uncertainty. And that transformed the way I looked at life. And, um, and it, it asked me to kind of let go of the need to always be um, certain about what I was doing because I, I really can't be when, when dealing with health issues. There's always something else. Yeah, I mean, life isn't, rigid and prescriptive as as much as we would like it to be, right? Um, when we look at things like growth uh, with even young adults, the thing that still confuses me to no end is why we force 18 and 20 year olds to choose their career path. Oh my God, I'm so with you. I do not get that at all. Like that makes, and- that makes no sense because I mean, like I, I don't know a single friend or family member except uh, that's not true all of my engineers and i know you're you're you have an engineering background but all of my engineering family members are still engineers but everyone else that i know the degree that they got is not what they currently do so i mean it, it makes no sense to me that we're forcing and pigeonholing individuals into something so early in their lives and they pivot and change later on. And that's something that you've done, right? And so when we think about rigidity, and especially, you know, when I think of engineering, again, as being something very rigid and calculated, it's like the opposite of this, like, adaptability. I mean, we can design adaptability into systems, but those still have formulas to them and and processes and systems to them. So how has your background and the shift in, in, uh, and your constant state of uncertainty in your life led to the creation of the Breakthrough Compass? Good question. Um, well, I think you mentioned one component of it is engineering background. I definitely come to the world of developing people from a counterintuitive place. Most people think about engineers as not being particularly um, so like they aren't, they aren't particularly socially adept 
and, and, and they tend, you know, we tend to believe that most engineers are, are kind of uh, out of it when it comes to engaging with people. Um, but I was obsessed with it, obsessed with people. And I think I come to developing people from that very tactical um, frame of mind. Like I want to help streamline processes. I want to help make it repeatable. I want to give people the tools. I mean, I used to work at Intel and as a manufacturing engineer, like my one of my core goals was to like create these little WYSIWYGs. We call them WYSIWYGs. They're just um, tools that would allow people to make repeatable improvements on things mm-hmm. in, the, in the manufacturing line. And I think I, I came to learning and development world with that same idea of like, how do I help people have repeatable success? But, and then, and, but then how do I also improve on the process of just living of being? And, and I also was always, um, I was always obsessed with this idea of, um, of growth and, re- and reinvention. And like, I, I always believed that people could continue to grow till the end of their lives. And I think it's, again, another way that I believe our culture kind of robs people of opportunity because we have this idea that we that that to change um which is something we're we're born being able to do it's our one superpower um that we have but we have this idea that that change means growth and that growth and learning end sometime when we're about 25 and my kids were just quoting to me some statistic about how like our brains are are fully functional at 25 Mm -hmm. and i'm like well that doesn't mean we stop our capacity to change um, I think somehow in, I don't, I think growing, growing up with a, a dad that was a modest inventor and a, and a mom that was all about, um, a build builder and art artistic side of things. I think, you know, those combined to kind of get me into engineering and engineering was always about like, how do we evolve? How do we make it better? And I looked at that with people. How do we help people believe in their capacity to continue growing and learning over time? And, um, and I think more importantly, you know, another big piece of this is our idea, that kind of cultural perception of change is that we're, we're adding to ourselves, that we are learning something new, we're adding a new skill, we're getting a new handbag, whatever it might be, we're adding. But when you talk about making a big transformation, you talk about evolving to a new state of who you are. Um, when we talk about figuring out how are we going to handle, um, you know, the way our world is is shifting and changing today, it requires that we evolve to, and what evolve truly means is, is it means letting go of a part of our, ourselves so that we can make room for something new. And I think that we've kind of, we've, we've um, demonized this idea of letting go of something as something that is it's not a not a healthy good thing but letting go is like an incredibly healthy thing it's just that we have a hard time doing that we we want i think we've all been kind of programmed to to keep what we have like all around us we're going to protect and preserve like that's kind of the overarching message that a lot of us get you know keep learning new skills but don't necessarily let go of what you've had because you know that's a part of your stockpile that you're creating yeah and that's just a very different way of thinking um I mean, when you want to try to evolve to to a different version of yourself, there is a, a cleaving that needs to happen. Those those espalier branches need to break. They need to come off to allow for new natural growth to happen. When when we look at how new growth can happen, something that I really thought was funny that you shared before was uh, how you coached your mom when she I believe she retired right and you coached her that she could grow right and so that's something that again we have these milestones in our cultures or in our brains that say like when we hit this we've achieved a certain amount or we are successful or um you know or we're done um but the the thing is right is like plants and like gardens is that they never stop growing right? The only, the only change that happens is there's only two outcomes, right? One is they grow or they die. 
And yeah. the only reason they die is because, you know, you stop taking care of them, you stop feeding them. And, and, um, and so that's something that um, we need to continue doing, right? Is we, we just need to continue feeding ourselves and allowing ourselves to change. So how do we then get leaders in organizations to build adaptable and well thought out systems, processes, and policies that prioritize people first? I think as we move into a future that's all about constant evolution, constant change, the idea to kind of get back to one, um, something that you said earlier is like the idea that we would know at 18 what role we were going to do. And then maybe at 20, you know, four, we'd know what job we're going to go have and that we would be done. Obviously that idea is like the idea of being done and we have one career and done like that's, that's over. But I think what we're seeing now is a, is a, another iteration of expanding on that. And I think it's something that organizations need to take ownership of, which is, if you want your people to one, stay loyal to you, stay up to date on what's happening, you've got to get involved in that education process more proactively and, and stop thinking of education as being something that people um, do on their own time, outside of work and off, of, and off as a part of like some certification program or as a part of some a college program and that they they kind of get that and then and then they 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 stop and then maybe they do kind of ongoing professional development but it's ongoing professional development in their field and i think this is where where we need to start we need to start opening up the doors or our, our ideas about people we're going to get to a playing place where the whole industries whole fields whole jobs are going to go away mm-hmm. and it, it's not socially responsible I mean, our community is not going to do well if organizations don't step up and say, you know, we're about to wipe out that entire group of jobs. What are we going to do for those people to help get them into a new job? How do we evolve and transform these? World Economic Forum is like putting out all kinds of recommendations for how jobs actually will connect and evolve to like the next one. And I think you're starting to see companies, really large companies, take ownership of um, career pathways for how people can evolve from, you know, a job that they had in the past um, into a new one. But I think my philosophy or my theory around all of this is that one of the biggest hurdles that we're all facing, it's not learning a new tech skill. It's not learning a new professional development skill. It is, it's, it's understanding that it's, it's completely shifting our mindset about how we think about education and how we think about our careers and stop thinking about it in such a linear path and start thinking about it in much more of a, a fluid um, cyclical path that we're going to constantly come back to a place where we, we're starting over in one new area of our life and learning something new. And that the type of jobs, or the type of skills we need to be helping people with are these fundamental building blocks that help us feel at peace in that uncertainty that we're building that help us feel empowered to handle disruption in our lives when disruption happens because it is a when it's not an if um and i think that if we focus more on the human skills the human side skills of people and organizations start investing more in creating um helping people to create these these dynamic platforms of these building blocks that help them kind of be more adaptable. Um, I believe there's eight core traits that make somebody more adaptable. And if you invest in helping people do that, it kind of seems to feed like everything else. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a growing need and it's something that we've seen over and over, like every year, right? Like you, I think you shared recently and we talked about it a little bit about um, the World Economic Forum skills for tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of them is problem solving. I see that every year. This this ability yeah. to be able to problem solve, and yet we don't teach it in school. Like we we say this is how you solve the problem, but we don't allow students and young adults to make mistakes and actually think critically. Right. Yeah. 
And something mm -hmm. I thought that you said uh, was really interesting is that for us as human beings, as a society, we have uh, been disempowered and we have disempowered our uh, capacity to change and evolve. Yeah. And first of all, can you see into the future? Because you said this a year ago and then 2020 hit. So <laughs> like, did you know this was coming? <laughs> um, Funny story about that. <laughs> yeah. and, and and second, you know, how do leaders empower, right? How, how what do those, what do those systems and, and learnings look like within organizations or just, again, maybe a leader of who is not in a larger organization? How do they help? build that capacity back up to be adaptable and to be able to deal with change? So this touches on it. Um, yeah, so interesting story here is that, um, yeah, about a year ago, I was really, whoops, just bumped something. Um, about a year ago, I was about to launch kind of a, a, this framework on a, on a bigger level. And I started going out to speak to some CHROs. Um, so chief you know, human resource officers who kind of had the, the capacity and budget to control for learning and development. And, um, and what I found is I came in talking to them about how their people were not ready for change. They weren't prepared for big, massive transformation that I, you know, this tidal wave of change that I saw coming. Um, I, I, I encountered a whole lot of resistance and actually defensiveness um, because of course, on their side, what they heard me say was that I was attacking their way of preparing their people, like basically saying, you're not doing a good job of preparing your people. So of course, they're going to get defensive, you know, hindsight 2020, looking back on that. What I had a hard time um, explaining then, what I've been kind of working on in 2020, and what COVID has allowed me, is made it way easier to be able to share with people, um, is that it goes back to what I was talking about before that in the past, prior to 2020, we thought change was this idea of like, I'm just, of course, I'm keeping up with change. Of course, I like change because I learn new tech. I knew I learn new applications. Um, I keep up to date with my fashion trends. Um, but and you know, I love trying new food, whatever. That was our idea of change. And so learning and development people also look at it from that perspective. They're like, yes, we're, we're, we're helping our people through change because we're, we're teaching them. Um, we're using, you know, ProSci or Agpar, whatever it is. But what I was trying to get to was, okay, that's like, um, that's just a, a matter of, of helping people add new skills. And what the kind of change I'm talking about are big transformational changes things that change the fundamental principles of what our business operates on or what our relationships operate on. And I couldn't get the right language for how to say that. Today I call them, you know, I call it big change um, in the book. But when COVID hit, so it, I should say, so with CH, the CHROs, I had these really depressing conversations. I'm like, God, I cannot get people to understand the kind of change I'm talking about. And then I kind of gave up. I was like, wow, I don't know if I can, I can bring this out to corporations. And then in, um, then COVID hit and suddenly everyone was like, I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody knows that they're really bad at change. Everybody. <laughs> the entire world understands this. And so I had to figure out like, what is, um, you know, when we, when we completely pull the rug out from what our traditional ideas of our things, what, what, le what are we left? And I liken it to um, if you were trying, I, I, talk, I talk about like we're trying, we're asking people to develop complex behaviors, new complex behaviors. And yet we haven't equipped them with the core principle fundamental behaviors and the building blocks that they need in order to do these complex behaviors. Um, and I liken it to something like asking somebody who, who, to go out and do pole vaulting. Um, but you haven't you haven't given them the basic building blocks of like kind of one level down building blocks would be okay they're able to run they're able to um, jump they're able to lift themselves they're able to use a pole um, but 
the thing is, is that, that I feel like that's the level that learning and development is operating off of. They're like, yes, we're going to teach you empathy and vulnerability. We're going to ask you to, um, you know, be um, critical thinkers. But what I'm saying is that I don't think you've actually taken it one level down further than that, which is get to the building block level of I know how to breathe. My heart is working is working really well. My lungs are working really well. I fed my body. Um, because when people don't aren't kind of um, don't have those fundamental building blocks, which I for me they're they're skills like humility and confidence, awareness. Um, when we don't have those, it's really hard for us to do even the, the first tier complex activities, let alone which is, would be like um, being being vulnerable, um, being a great leader. But then you want to take them to that next level, which that next level is like, okay, in this divisive world, I want you to go and heal those relationships. Or in, um, in this world, I want you to actually let go of the person you have always been, that identity you've always had. That role is now gone, and I need you to completely work in a brand new way. All those relationships you have, those are going to go away. So that's a very complex order of behavior you're asking people to kind of do, but you're, you have these expectations that they're just going to do it. And what I'm asking, what I think organizations need to do is they need to get back down to those, those basic building blocks and really make sure that people are solid there before you ask them to do the complex stuff. I mean, it's, it's almost like teaching, teaching them how to be humans again, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I'm a very firm believer of leaders needing to have humility and self-awareness. And when you look at that build the, those blocks that you're building up on, right? Um, the thing that I've seen in my own experience has been, you know, leaders dealing with like conflict management within their team but they have no idea how they're coming off to their team. They have no self-awareness. I like, I have a couple of managers in mind, like I can see them right now and, and they are great at their jobs. But when it comes to those interpersonal relationships, they have no clue, like absolutely no clue. And, And you're right. It has to do with those very basic foundational pieces. And when we look at, you know, how we can address things like divisiveness. I know that this is something that you want to explore is how does your framework with the Breakthrough Compass address things like divisiveness, especially in our country right now when we are so divided, right? We, we have, you know, we've touched on this a little bit, but when we don't believe that the other side can change, that we don't believe that we can influence that other side. So, how do we heal that and open ourselves up to possibilities and make room for that change? So what, what I'd like to see people do is take one first step. And the, the first step I always am encouraging people to do is just, you don't have to believe that anybody else thinks or sees things better than you do. You just have to take the one step to make room for change, which means to, and the, and the very first piece is to be inquisitive, to be curious. That's the very first step on the compass. That's great through compass that I've created. And when we open up our minds to just the sheer possibility that maybe something, maybe we're missing something, or just to say, hey, and you don't even have to like acknowledge that you're missing something. You just have to ask a simple question. Am I missing something? And if you can just open that door, just it's like putting your finger, you know, finger in, in the, before <laughs> the door slams shut in the elevator, you know, it's just like just stop that, stop yourself from being so certain, so close, so, so um, absolute. If you can just ask that one question, that opens up the doors for like another finger to get in and another finger to get in. And eventually we can kind of pry it open so you see more. When I, what happens or what I've noticed happening with people is that we have 
a whole lot of reason to, um, our human nature wants to kick in and, and preserve and protect ourselves. And so we have a slew of what I call status quo defenders that like to race into our rescue and make sure that we're living life the right way. And when we're in the business world, it's all about being productive, making sure we meet our numbers, making sure that we you know, are, are accomplishing everything that we need to accomplish and getting to that next promotion. But when we're so focused on fighting the fires and just staying ahead of the fire that like is nipping at our, our butts, excuse me, <laughs> um, that if we're so excited about, um, you're just kind of trying to keep in front of that fire, we, we miss, we might be running past all of these easier ways of doing things. Um, and we don't open up the opportunity for possibilities to happen. Uh, an example is like I had a, a colleague who I worked with and I remember speaking with her and she's complaining about the traffic and the way she came, you know, she, the way she's like, she's like, ah, this, this, this drive in is terrible. And, and I knew where she lived. And I'm like, well, have you tried this route or have you tried this route or this route? And she looks at me like, oh my God, I didn't realize, oh my God. <laughs> she like, she had a sudden realization yeah. of, I could have gone, I could have tried these other ways and I never, I never tried it until I got frustrated and somebody stopped me and said, whoa, have you, have you, are you missing something? There's some, something else that you might be able to do. And so I call this particular um, effort, just, I call it stop, drop, and roll, which um, it's this idea of how do you get somebody who's just, you know, it's like, remember fire. If you're trying to escape the fire too much, stop, drop, and roll. Stop doing what you're doing because if you keep on getting the same results over and over and over again, apparently it's not working and you're just staying above, you know, in front of that fire. And then drop what you think you know. And all I want you to do then is the role part is like take that very first step. The very first step is to just be curious. Seek, seek to understand, find out the meaning of what it is you're experiencing and, um, and really work to, and then that, that will lead you on this, this compass, this whole route, which basically the, the very next step, like once you're curious, the very next step I would encourage all managers and leaders who are leading change is to help their people build their confidence up with who they are. And I don't mean confidence as in boisterousness, I mean confidence in, as in understand who they are at their core, that piece of them that cannot be taken away, that part that's, that is just, um, it makes them valuable no matter what role they play, no matter what experience they have, there is a part of them that will remain valuable. And when we feel whole in ourselves like that, it actually, and when, when people invest in helping us see that way, um, it opens us up to being more open, to being more curious. And so it, the whole journey through the compass is a process of being curious. Um, and then at the same time of being curious, you're actually you're investing in building up some of these critical traits. Because can you imagine anybody being open to a new idea if they themselves don't feel confident in who they are? Yeah, that's something that, um, you know, I, I wish we taught more. You know, I keep going to this, you know, this, this notion that we, we need to teach our children um, a lot of these skills early on. And I, I've grown to believe that more and more strongly that we need, to, we really don't prepare our kids, right, from, from an education system which, um, and I think that a lot of adults, because they don't have those skills either, they don't know how to teach their children. So it's something that we, we need to really work on um, to be able to, again, be able to change and, and observe and, and look at what, what the world is and be curious about the world. We're so, it, it's so easy to just tell someone to do something, right? whether or not you're a parent or whether or not you're a manager, it's just so easy to say, do this. This is why, or maybe, you know, sometimes they don't even say why this is just the way it is. It's my way. Right. And so we, we have to allow for that curiosity, like you said, to really bloom and thrive. Yeah. 
we're we're moving from a world that was all very authority driven to one that is very self-driven and our k-12 school system curriculums are not they're not keeping pace um i i'm go, i'm happy to report that my my own children's school um it, here in seattle they are starting to teach a lot more open-ended kind of critical thinking components of it but i think as a part of this and we're seeing i think i feel like we're seeing this shift a little bit in schools but even bigger shifts i think in organizations um that we have to understand that in order for people to be highly functional and highly productive we have to empower them to manage their own mental health and mental and emotional state and that is really the goal behind what my book and behind this framework it's all about empowering people to self-direct their own evolution and growth and a lot of that has to do with kind of um i i, I liken it to the idea of, of climbing you know where if when when change and radical change happens to us and we get kind of dropped into that abyss of like feeling oh my god everything's terrible and awful we have to figure out a way to kind of climb ourselves back up away from that disempowered state back to that empowered state and i liken it to the idea of like a rock climber kind of putting in their clamps as they climb up the the edge of a, of a mountainside and what we're doing when we invest in building some of these core human traits um these building blocks that i've been talking about is we're we're anchoring ourselves in the rock so that when we do fall or if we do fall we actually have a self-arrest point where we're like okay i'm still good i i'm i'm i still know who i am i'm good like i know this is this is really hard um, and now i can try again and now i know how to unlock my potential i know how to i know the next action i can take to help me move to that next spot so i can continue climbing back up the mountain um and you know things happen we have to get used to this idea that we're not it's not going to be a smooth journey up there are going to be falls but if the more we know how to self-arrest our falls make it so we don't fall as far and make it so that we can we know how to you know we have faith and confidence in our own ability to climb back out and we understand the path we need to take that it just empowers us to do better in this world that presents us with so much rapid change that that hit that hits home for me so so hard um because my own personal journey this year in 2020 has been that i lost a job right i, I got laid off and this happens very often when people get laid off and you know voluntary or involuntary is that their job is so much a part of their identity that when that gets taken away they get depressed they lose a part of them they felt like they've lost a part of themselves but if you really think about who you actually are as you're saying as a core human being and who you like what your values are and what your own purpose and passions are if you can take root and anchor into that those ideals then that job that has suddenly left your life is it's easier to bite that bullet you can say okay well this is who i am right and then you can really pivot and, and focus on that next step rather than like kind of wallow and and really just kind of get yourself down so i absolutely love that and that's actually just to come full circle back to where we kind of started um the idea of thriving in uncertainty how you do that is you anchor you have anchor points in these core building blocks these ideas that kind of they stay whole with who you are and you understand how to get yourself out of like whatever whatever fall you've just you know encountered like you just said um thriving in uncertainty is a is it's uncertain like that why is uncertainty so scary is that we don't know what's the next fall that's going to happen mm -hmm. you understand that you're always going to be able to kind of catch your fall that you'll be able to climb back up uncertainty doesn't it's not as bad and then you end up being much more present with like today, this moment right here. And that's, that's a big lesson that I've learned from being with my daughter and having these constant health issues that threaten her life. And it's been, how do you, how do you be present with what's happening today and have the faith in yourself to know that you, Christopher, can handle whatever life is going to toss you? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just had a thought too, is, you know, when we really think about how we can extrapolate this to an organizational level, right? 
again, 2020 is a really great case study because everyone got rocked this year, right? Everyone's business got decimated. And the organizations that really, I think, are thriving now, the ones that have been able to catch themselves earlier and get them themselves back on their feet have been the ones that are, that are anchored in who they are, what they do, what they provide, what their purpose is as an organization, yeah. right? And they are like, we got this, right? Like we, we are very focused on these few areas or this one area, whatever it might be. And they say, and we got this, Let's, we can make it through this time. The thing, uh, I know we're coming up on time, so I do want to ask one last question is, what, yeah, you're fine. what is the impact that you're looking to leave on people? With my book or with this, this with whatever, whatever you want, you know, what is, whatever. yeah, what is the impact that you're looking to leave? What kind of impact do you want to leave on this world? Um, well, I'll leave it with the last um, inactivity or an engage, a, a, just a, an action that I'd like people to try. Um, for me, I'm very passionate about getting people to believe in their capacity to evolve and to understand that no matter how bleak what the challenge that's in front of them seems or looks, they have the power within them to overcome it. It may not be what they think it is. They may not, it, like, in that the, the best thing that they can do is to stop knowing, stop feeling like they know what is going to happen and to just engage in the process, the very natural human nature driven process that we all, all humans go through. And that's what this compass represents is that we, I know it's within every single one of us, the capacity to see more than what we see today. And a big part of that it does resonate in this idea of finding these anchor points and changing ourselves. And um, just to bring us all the way back to the very beginning of our, our, our whole interview, um, I want people to think about the fact that they're human and to really recognize and, and accept that. I feel like we spend so much time being um, focused on this idea that we're not happy. Like I, I'm upset because I'm not happy. I'm not a good person because I'm not happy or I'm not living my best life because I'm not happy. Well, guess what? We cannot be happy all the time because if we were happy all the time, there wouldn't be such a thing as being happy. You wouldn't experience that. So I encourage people and I do this myself all the time and it's shocking the impression, the impact it can make on you and, and on me um, is instead of saying, Every single time I get beat up on myself about being happy, like I'm not being happy, I say, Julia, you're being human. You're an amazing human. And we get back to this idea that humans are amazingly wonderful and fabulously flawed all at the same time. And those two parts of us is of the whole of us. And if we see ourselves as those two parts, not as just always being one, then we can be much more accepting and grounding, grounded in who we are. And I find myself in my morning meditation, every single time I say that to myself, I, you know, I love myself for my humanity. I love myself for being human. I can find this peace and I start laughing at like all the ways that I mess up. And now it's just like a wonderful part of who I am as a part of it was supposed to being something that I get myself down on. So if I can leave somebody with that feeling of acceptance of their whole selves, um, that would be powerful and belief that they can, they can be more than what they are. That's amazing. I mean, uh, you, you essentially brought our whole conversation back full circle to where we started. And I, I do want to share something with you. I did reach out to, uh, some people you've worked with and people close to you. And I wanted to share some, uh, some of the impact that you left on, uh, this one individual, Sam, uh, Sam Sen, who has said, there's so much to love about Julia, but the thing that jumps out at me most is her respect for everyday working people and families. She has this authenticity and purpose that helps people who are busting their buns to do, the, to do right by and for all say thank you for seeing me. 
She is one of those wonderfully rare counselors and friend of the family, as in all families, who gets what it's like to try and put hustle, muscle, and humility all in one bottle. To see the vision miles down the road, while also remaining chief cook and bottle washer to hearth and home every day and in every loving way. Julia is a complete leader in the truest sense. So I would say you absolutely are making an amazing impact and you're helping, you know, you are helping people feel human. And that's, you know, again, that's what, you know, this podcast is all about is, you know, leaders who are doing that. So thank you again. Wow. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> thanks for doing that. Of course. Well, uh, before we sign off, where can people connect with you and find you? At revolveview.com, please feel free to reach out. I just completely overhauled my website. Let me know if you see any errors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm gonna. I'm hoping that the book will be out in spring 2021. It's called The Breakthrough Compass, The Power to Ad- Adapt is Within You. And um, I'm gonna be doing workshops uh, starting here in November. Um, I'll be introducing people to The Breakthrough Compass. So. Wonderful. Well, Julia, thank you again so much. It's been such an honor and pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for coming on. Great to talk to you too. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. So are you ready to let go of your past, good or bad, in order to evolve? Or maybe you're ready to take that first step to change. Either way, I appreciate you listening in and learning more with me. If you loved what Julia shared in this episode, It would mean a lot to me, really, if you hit that subscribe button and shared the episode with someone who needs to hear Julia's message. Also, if you want to connect with Julia, her information is in the show notes. She is also looking for pre-readers for her book. Again, that's coming out in just a couple months. So if you want to get involved, reach out to Julia directly. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.